0: That's my. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what I'm going to have to deal with like, the whole way along? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the worst quiz show ever. Welcome to episode four of Keeping on Track. I am Bradley Williams.
1: I always hesitate. I don't know if I can introduce myself. Because you've a couple of times you introduced me, and then I, you know, do I? I say know, it but really it's
0: because you never introduce re- yourself. I do it for you, but this no, time see. I'm going to really do it really. Oh, welcome to It on Track, again. episode four. I'm Bradley Williams,
1: and I'm Adam Heath.
0: Oh, that was beautiful. That was lovely. This is the uh, podcast where we discuss um, various business. Models, questions, ethics, whatever, I don't know, stuff relating to businesses, but we, we view it through the lens of film, because that is the medium that Adam and I are most comfortable and involved with, and the thing that we enjoy talking about the most.
1: But i just said I don't know if um, on these podcast platforms like iTunes or Apple Music, whatever it's called, Spotify... I don't know if you have to put a little description of the podcast, but that description just gave should should be the description because it was it was quite amusing listening to you try and define what this podcast is about, (laughs) and you quickly realise
0: I've got no idea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's to do with business. This kind of got
0: something (laughs) to do with businesses and things.
1: We're still figuring out what the show is, right? Are, yeah. are we allowed that great, like ten episodes, maybe? We have to really know exactly what this is about,
0: maybe. I'd, I'd argue that we're never going to know. I think we're just going to chop and change whenever we want. We know it's about businesses, and we know it's about films.
1: There you go, Good and enough that's for me. it.
0: That's that's all you're getting. Um, and today's episode is about innovation. Is about thinking outside the box and trying to do things differently and how we integrate that into our standard practices and uh, to do that we thought that we would practice what we preach so although we're only four episodes in we're changing up the format slightly today and it may not be the most ingenious thing you've ever heard in your life but Hopefully, it will feel different to other episodes, or ever so slightly different. But it's our way of honouring the topic at hand, and uh, to help us along the way, we're gonna we're gonna look at a film as usual. And this week, we're gonna look at Baz Luhrmann's interpretation of Romeo and Juliet. Now, if you're not familiar with the plot of Romeo and Juliet, or you've never seen the film, uh, then I welcome you from under the rock that you've been living, <laughs> <laughs> you've been living within for the last uh, twenty plus years, and uh, the movie itself is is a, a famous interpretation of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. I mean, I don't know what more there is to say. It's about two star-crossed lovers from rivaling families the Capulets and the Montagues and in spite of their family differences, in spite of the warring societies that they're a part of uh, they find each other and they fall in love and uh, that's the kind of basis for the story and for the film obviously if you need it there's a spoiler warning for this episode so if you haven't seen the film or you're not familiar with the play of Romeo and Juliet they both uh, die. The, 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 they both die at the end. <laughs> it's a spoiler that So uh, yeah, mean,
1: the only way you can have avoided the story of Romeo and Juliet is is by not going to school, because I feel like it's such a inherent part of education, at least in the UK. You know, you have you have come across that story in some form. Some kind of study will have been done on it for almost everybody. I would have thought.
0: I would. I would say so. Which is why, which is why, it makes this an interesting case study for innovation because it is such a well-worn narrative. Mm. It is such a, a widely known and, and treasured story, and something that people are extremely comfortable with and confident in uh, talking about. And so, I would, I think, that's why Baz Luhrmann. I mean, he called it William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, and I'll tell you why he did that in a little while.
1: I think it's really interesting that you talk about. Uh, Baz Lemon's interpretation, because that's a, a term that we're very familiar with in theatre. You'll see an interpretation of a, of a story, um, not not so much in film. You know, mm. not often do you hear of an adaptation of a book and someone calls it an interpretation. But yeah. funny enough, you say that it, it's exactly the right term. This is Baz Lemon's interpretation of that material. It is.
0: Yeah, and that is and that is actually. Do you want out? Do you want to define the difference between at risk of of getting into a Jay and Silent Bob esque rant about remakes? and sequels and prequels and adaptations do you do you want to try and define the difference between an adaptation and an interpretation
1: yeah let's do it go on then you go first
0: no go on you go first i've spoken too
1: much (laughs) um adaptation and interpretation hmm i i guess just the, the the kind of the nature of the words, an adaptation to me is uh, moving something from one uh, medium to another. It's kind of yeah. helping that transition. So you're adapting material from one form to another, but it is a transplant, almost. Uh, an interpretation is is often a reimagining of an idea. It is a unique, individual kind of perspective twist. Uh, I think of all films, perhaps this is one of the, the better examples. You, you, you couldn't help but say that this is Baz Luhrmann's interpretation. It's not an adaptation because it's not any way taking that story and moving it from one form to another. It is a reimagining. It's a completely unique kind of perspective Mm. uh, on on the material. Definitely.
0: And uh, which brings me quite nicely to why he called it, in in the face of that, why he still maintained in calling it uh, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Now, this is according to Baz himself, And he said that he felt that Shakespeare must have been the ultimate showman and that during the time when he was writing plays and putting on plays, he was amongst prostitutes, gamblers and and all sorts of things. And so the people of the time, the the poor and and the wealthy alike, um, had other forms of, dare we say, entertainment and so and much cheaper entertainment and 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 maybe more immediately accessible entertainment and so he felt that uh basleman felt that in order for shakespeare to gain people's favor and pull people out of the streets and into the theaters he he would have been a very showman-esque individual and so he feels that if shakespeare were alive at that period 1996 making films That this is the way he feels Shakespeare would have treated the material, in order in order to make something extra sort of extra unique, something very vibrant and uh, something that would grab people's attentions. So he's called it that to honour that maybe would you call it a mission statement that that's his kind of his mo for the way he's made the film and how he's made the film so that's why it's called R- william shakespeare's romeo and juliet not baz lerman's yet R- romeo and juliet uh which may or may not fall into the uh the realms of of pompous but i think that it's you know that's his that's his belief and and that's the way he's treated and that's the way he treated the film so there's a bit of uh a bit of a trivia bomb for you there. You can keep that one, Adam.
1: And it it makes sense because what he's done ultimately is is, is kind of, and I might regret saying this, but I think he's respected the source material. Although mm-hmm. he's imagined it in a different way, he's been faithful to the kind of content, to the themes, the kind of um, energy, if you like. Uh, but as you said, with a kind of modern twist. Mm. I always now I think about it, that was my first introduction to Romeo and Juliet actually because we studied the film at school. We didn't right. read, we didn't talk about it as a piece of literature. We watched the film. I think it was in English literature, probably, or, or English language class. Okay. Um, and, and so that, now I think about it, that's the only way I was introduced to Romeo and Juliet, you know, as, as a child. Um, and it, it's unique, I think unique, At least at least for me, I've never seen another film like it mm. in so much as it's a modern interpretation of that classic story, but using language from the original story so yeah you kind of um yeah i can't think of another example where i've seen that before
0: it, I, I would yeah i would i would hazard a guess to say that it's probably one of the more extreme uh, versions of the story in terms of the visuals and the tone and everything but um, yeah i think a lot of people especially people of our generation got you know a, a early exposure to shakespeare through this medium. Uh, which which you could either argue is uh, a wonderful great gateway drug um, to get people hooked on it. Um, or hooked on Shakespeare. Hooked on um, Shakespeare, yeah, hooked on Shakespeare. Or maybe damaging because uh, you that would either build expectations that would then maybe be shattered or potentially put you off because you think, oh, well, this isn't me. And I remember I um, I saw the film in the when it came out and I absolutely hated it absolutely hated it with a passion I just thought it was absolute dross uh, I just couldn't click with it and it was only about I would say about eight nine years ago that I actually rediscovered the film because my wife loves it and she's you know and she's said to me oh would you watch it with me I was like, oh you know I hate that film I've never liked it but I sat down and I watched it eight or nine years ago and, and it was like a different experience altogether. And I, and I thought, what the hell? Like, why did I not like this in the first place? What what was it about this that turned me off? But since then, I've absolutely loved it. I've probably watched it about eight or nine times since then. Um, but but yeah, I mean, just did a complete 180 on it. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because it is, I guess you, you might, for, for lack of a better... Analogy, call it Marmite. You know, it is something that I think people love or they hate. I don't think you can be indifferent to this film. Would you agree?
1: Um, yes. Uh, I think there's lots of films you could say that about. I think yeah, for me, course. it's the, 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 the clash in this film is the kind of challenging thing for folks. It's that modern setting, modern visual with what is recognizably Shakespeare's language and words, you know, mm-hmm. kind of old English. Uh, and that's a real. Challenge for people. Um, It's a bit like when when some folks perhaps feel that they're not interested in black and white movies or old movies, you know, classic cinema, Um, and that pretty much enough of a reason to not watch something is that it's black and white and made in the '30s or '40s. Yeah, Um, and this this feels similar because folks could could listen to the the soundtrack and say, "Oh, it's not that's not my kind of film." You know, the Mm. way you know I can language dialogue is not my kind of dialogue, but actually the visual. Is entirely in keeping with something they would watch, you know, in contemporary cinema. Uh, so I think it's a really challenging film because uh, because it, it doesn't fit neatly into kind of one bucket or the other. It's kind of a hybrid movie.
0: Yeah, and and, and so I guess like let's maybe let's tie some of this back in then to, to the ideas of innovation and thinking outside the box. And um, you said you mentioned the word hybrid, and for me, I think that that um, is one of the things of, of when you're trying to innovate, when you're trying to do things in a new and refreshing way, I think you should define your new vision and be bold. Not sort of have an idea or think you can do this or try that or whatever. Like Define what you want to do. Have a really clear idea of what it is that you're trying to achieve. Because I think that a film like this, you, you, you know, it feels like chaos, And it feels like a hodgepodge and a mix of of so many different things. But every one of those things is a conscious choice that otherwise none of it would have any continuity. So although it's new, although it's different, although it's original, it still has to make sense. And so... It's very clear from watching this version of Romeo and Juliet that there is there's a fusion of high sp- of high fashion, of Hispanic iconography and style. There's certain elements of gay culture on on, on show. Um, there's uh, there's there's references to contemporary society, particularly obviously at the '90s at this point um, with the soundtrack. So you've got bands like One Inch Punch and Garbage and the Cardigans, and I mean obviously Radiohead. Uh, who have got a couple of songs in here. So, so there's references to that. There's obviously elements of punk on show. There's, there's even, you know, like the S&M scene. Um, there's crime drama tropes. There's, there's, there's a kind of carnivalesque flamboyancy to it. There's also plays on social ethics. and So all of these things, are all in there, and they are all got their own distinct place and time and flavour and moments to shine. But they're there on purpose. It's not just he sort of looked at something and said, uh, you know what this really needs? This needs me to just chuck in, I don't know, let's just chuck in some some Latin culture here. That will do. Uh, I think it, there was very conscious effort to do that. And so that, for me, is, is a real indicator of, of how, you know, defining that new vision and being bold is, is integral.
1: That couldn't be more topical given couple of projects that we're working on at the moment right I'm I'm, Mm. my brain is now lost to uh, uh, a week or so back having meetings about a project that is being reimagined if you like or reinterpreted um and and actually it is a recycling of the exact old material that already existed there's nothing innovative about it it's redoing for the sake of redoing
0: yeah
1: um and, and 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 we we took a bit of time perhaps to kind of really figure out what we weren't feeling about that project and that was that was essentially it there isn't anything new to say nor is there a new delivery mechanism there's not a new kind of ideology about how we present the the, the information yeah Uh, it's just a repackage and that that is rarely uh, that engaging to be honest the repackage of the same information
0: yeah well and it is i mean there is there is an argument to be had right so you you could suggest that that maybe when it comes to uh, repackaging, or you know, not not all innovation. I feel not all innovation means the replacement of current ideas and and mm-hmm. and uh, ideologies. Right, you can find a mixture of the two. So, in the film one of the scenes that sticks out to me is the most uh, Shakespearean so so you've got this movie you've got so, so as a okay so let's do a direct comparison between the two so the opening film opening scene of the film is, is, is an absolute tour de force of cinematic techniques right there's uh, it, 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 it personifies the unease and the of the environment it establishes the new form of the storytelling so the kind of the the, 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 the spit the sped up frame rates, the the strange um, camera angles and the framing that have used, the, there's almost kind of comic Looney Tunesque sound effects and sound design at certain points. Um, you've got uh Jamie Kelly's character, um I can't think of the name of the character now. Um but uh a Samson. So there's a bit when when he's fu- he he's hiding and he's getting bashed in the head with his bag and he growls at the woman, and then he stands up and he fires his gun over and over and over again and you get this, this um cutaway of this sign just going Pew Pew spinning round and round. The whole thing is like ridiculous. It's like, it's like a, a cartoon western like Wiley e. Coyote or something. But you can't watch that and not go, hmm, I don't know what I'm watching here. So it very very quickly establishes that this is a very different version of, of, of Shakespeare, but also wants to have its cake and eat it because the way it presents itself, even the idea of the classical cast list at the beginning like you would get in a play uh, text, it does that at the beginning, you know, it sort of says uh, Ted Montague, by, you know, Romeo's father, and, and all, and it kind of shows you all the different characters, some of the different characters up front, and things like that. And then it also felt like it was honouring um, some very, um, you know, other, uh, you know, the the language and things like that. Obviously, they are the, the heavy doses of the Shakespearean side of it. But it, but you would look at that and you go, this isn't Romeo and Juliet the way I rec- recognise it. Then you jump yeah. forward like an hour or so, and the the scene uh, where Mercutio is killed by Tybalt. Feels extremely Shakespearean. So you've got the sky, this kind of tempestesque sky. It's got a magical, um, mystical quality to it. The, the, you know, a plague on your house, on both your houses, and and the way that all plays out. Um, and and the whole thing is it, it's very it's very classical the way it's shot. Um, I can't remember if there's even any music at that point. There may there may be a little bit. I can't remember. But um, the whole thing feels like. Literally very Shakespearean, even to the point where it's on a, on a stage of, of sorts. The there's that there's that kind of abandoned um, playhouse stage that, that, that. And and so all of that felt very classical and and very Shakespearean, whilst at the same time the, the colours, the pacing, and it all very much still represented Lerman's world. But I think at that point, even he seems to agree. That let's just let the shake. Let's just let the text be what it is at this point in the film. I have to present it in a certain way. That's rel- uh, That's it's the continuity of my imagery and the continuity of the story I'm telling. But let the standard text shine at this point. And so I think that when we do innovate, that we can still give over to old ideas, and we can still like you know like the project that we you were just talking about, Adam. Sometimes it is okay. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes you do need to innovate, and and so you need to challenge that. But I think it is okay still to maybe hold some things back and say, no, this this is good as it is. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I, I do agree though. It is, it is it isn't always the way because you because that can sometimes also be. That's not about recognizing the value of something. That's sometimes about fear and, and unease about changing as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you convinced yeah.
1: me. I was. Mm. I was. I was set that uh, innovation had to be new constantly. Actually, you convinced me that there is space for uh, the old as well. Yeah. Uh, and actually, uh, no, this, this is too much of a stretch. I was going to say the innovation in, in some cases might be recognising we don't need to change everything. We don't have to throw the whole thing out. We just need oh. to build on, tweak, um, and, and add to, to what's already there, potentially.
0: But how do you? how would you say we can find new ways to express established ideas and mess- key messages and, and objectives? Is, is there a way of looking at something and saying, okay, we've said it in this way for so long. We need to say it again, but we need to say it differently. Do you think there's a way of doing that?
1: There is certainly a way of doing it. I just don't think there's a mathematical answer to what that is. Mm. I think it changes depending on the message and the, and, you know, the content. Um, it's probably one of the great challenges of communication. I would say, is yeah. finding new ways to repeat existing material or content, yeah, uh, and making it engaging, dynamic, so on and so forth.
0: For me, um, the you know the scene in um, uh, the the balcony scene from the play. It's probably mm-hmm. one of the most. It's probably one of the most recognisable moments in Shakespeare's entire catalog of works, right? You know, Romeo, Romeo, where for art that Romeo, all that sort of stuff, that that is something that, you know, a rose by any other name would smoke. These are all very classic lines that we know, and we know the balcony scene. Mm -hmm. But in the film, I would argue Baz Luhrmann creates his own iconic balcony scene by abandoning all of the established motifs of the classical version, but yet it feels exactly the same, but it looks and sounds and and you remember it and it, it feels totally different. Do, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, of course. I think um, quite often in films and, and, in, and in storytelling in general, uh, you can use analogies, right? You can use mm. an analogy to convey a point, convey a message. Um, so you, as long as you're respecting the um, the heart, the themes of a subject, you can actually twist and turn it in all sorts of different directions and have a similar impact. You've just, you've delivered it in a, in a less uh, direct way, maybe more abstract kind of way.
0: Mm. And so you said something, you said it about, I think you said it about understanding the heart or the core of, of mm-hmm. your message. That's probably... One of the easiest things to say, and one of the hardest things to do.
1: But that seems to me to be the study of great literature and language, is to remove the artifice of language and understand the kind of inherent structure and skeleton of the of the thing, mm. um, which which is uh, you know an endeavour in itself. Uh, I always find that we're writing or I'm writing something. And the language is kind of getting in the way, actually. Sometimes when I, when I try and strip away the need for formality, when I go back to just talking, talking out loud, I'm constantly talking to you about things. And I can say it verbally, but I can never put it on paper And mm. until I've talked through and kind of mashed around with saying things out loud to try and find the heart of what I'm actually trying to say. And then I'll find the right words for it. But I have to kind of begin in that, that play space 1st
0: and, and that's probably one of the keys to innovation, isn't it? Is, is playing, is, is experimenting with things, right? I mean, you, you you come from a world within Apple, where I'm assuming that you were constantly encouraged to test the limits of things and test boundaries and and put, lift up rocks and you know check check behind the sofa and, and find what was down there and then could you use it for anything is that or was it was it much more stilted I, I don't know what was your experience like there
1: um no definitely the the first um definitely exploration innovation um it's a great kind of pixar and and, and others but, but a pixar kind of philosophy of, of failing fast right let's accept that that you're likely to fail mm. on any adventure so let's fail as fast as we can because it means we're learning something we're making progress um there isn't failure there is only lessons so mm-hmm. let's dive in let's jump in let's imagine we were kids again and, and have that kind of careless abandon that kids have it's okay to fall over because you get up and you go again and you learn something more each time um and that's definitely something at apple virtually my entire time there was defined by experimentation and playing and seeing where we ended up and i you know there were, there are things, there are projects that I kind of initiated that, if we'd been strategic and thought about and kind of tried to map out, probably wouldn't have come to, to life. But because it was a an open world for me to explore and prod and poke the corners of the way things were working, we, mm. you know, we suddenly made innovations, we invented things, designed product systems, you know, things that didn't exist, uh, and you probably couldn't have imagined needing, you know, until you'd done that kind of play. So, I'm I'm all about that. Lots of the signs and little pieces of artwork I've got littered around the studio are about um, failing fast and um, being being comfortable with experimentation and playtime, mm.
0: and that I mean, because that's I guess failure is one of the scariest things, isn't it? If you're if you're piling money into something, or you're piling time into something, or resources, you want it to succeed, right? Because you want it to say, "Well, oh, that was worth it. That was a gamble that we took, and it was worth it." And and you want to mitigate risk as much as you can. But I also I, I totally agree with you in the in the fact that you know cinema for example any any creative output there's always risk and it doesn't always pay off sometimes it tanks sometimes people just don't connect with an idea uh, and many uh, many a film that we consider a classic spent a lot of time just sitting on the bottom shelf somewhere with no one entertaining it fight club for example was an absolute catastrophe at the box office and it and it found its feet in a cult market on on home release um there are other films where it just never lands full stop and 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 so risk it, you know can sometimes take away a lot of people's appetites but i also think that sometimes it's not always about the reward sometimes it's about the development like you said it sometimes it's about it's not always got to be we need to innovate because we need to succeed well let's just innovate because something needs to be different something's not working so let's move it bit by bit by bit if you understand the core of what you're trying to achieve i think you will succeed to an extent and that balcony scene for me is is a prime example of that because that's probably one of the biggest risks of the whole film if you get that scene wrong no one cares if you get that same wrong, no one buys into the, the relationship. No one really is that bothered about the danger that the characters put themselves in after that point. And I would actually say that possibly um, in that swimming pool moment, where you know when they're in, the, they keep falling in the pool and climbing out the pool and under the water and things like that, he encapsulates the beauty of that relationship equally as well as what Shakespeare wrote. And I think that, to me, is a sign that it is worth taking those risks. The film was made on a $14 million budget. And every penny of that is on the screen. Every single penny of that is on the screen. And that film made over $151 million at the box office. So the profits on that are huge. The legacy of that is huge. It turned you know, Leonardo DiCaprio into a leading man for... Decades it, it skyrocketed Claire Danes's career, and I think that was the first film she'd ever done, and turned Baz Lerman into a bankable filmmaker, and also for Twentieth Century Fox, right? And and that's one of the things that, as a film nerd, that's one of the things I want to celebrate is the fact that Twentieth Century Fox are a studio that take a lot of risks. A lot of the movies that they put out are independent projects in terms of they're not part necessarily always part of a um, of a franchise. Or hey, they're Star, Wars, man. Star well, Wars, what a risk! Yeah, I mean, you've got Star Wars, you've got the aliens films, you've got um, even lately the Shape of Water and films like that. They, these are kind of they're one-off movies that they just output, and and, and they, obviously they do create franchises. That's what every studio wants to do, but but they're very different in terms of their approach to films. That say like Warner Brothers are Warner Brothers like established. Um, franchises that they build upon or um, Universal which is very much about genre movies as it were that they know is going to get a wider demographic of people Um, so it's you know even for 20th Century Fox it was a huge gamble and I I think it paid off
1: I'm slightly repeating myself but um, I think it's Ed Catmull the founder of Pixar is is kind of famed for not discussing things in in terms of success or failure but in terms of Mm. what are we learning and that to me is is everything if you approach uh work with that head on like what are mm. we learning today what are we learning by doing this there is no failure right yeah it's, it's impossible yeah um it, 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 there is a kind of mentality kind of required there to, to be open-minded enough i guess to let's learn mm. we're going to learn every single day everything we do every project every piece every every gamble we take if you like creatively we are going to learn mm. uh, and that's a really really um, exciting place to be
0: and also i think learn, but saying something like that saying we're going to learn implies that you don't know the answers as well it's about mm-hmm. accepting that you're part of a process that you're not the end of that process you're not the head of that process and everyone working together bouncing off each other and and having that confidence with each other that trust with each other to put an idea forward that you may 20 minutes later go oh my goodness like what the heck was i thinking like that was such a bad idea and someone's going to back you down the minute you say it, but you've said it and it's out there and it's in the ether. And I think that helps build trust and bonds. Like we do it all the time, don't we? You know, I can't think of a single time on a set where you or I haven't recommended something to the other. And then we've kind of turned around and gone, I don't like that, that's not going to work. And and then we've sort of gone, okay, fair enough. But we've done it. And, and I think that's why we, we have that trust um, with each other. And I think that's why people have that trust with us because they understand the collaborative nature and the willingness to, to, to test things out and to fail. Um, mm-hmm. We have a, a series of videos, I know I know you've seen a few of them Adam, and, and these Monday motivation videos that we put out each Monday, they're just sort of 60 second videos, food for thought type things, and, and the one that we released today, because uh, we're recording this on Monday, um, is one about curiosity. And For me, that that fed into this a little bit. It was in, in inadvertent, but it fed into that. Is that idea that I think curiosity drive definitely drives innovation. If you want to think, mm, I, I wonder if, or what 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 happens if, or there's that if uh, that that feeds into things. But have you ever found yourself being driven by curiosity, and that that has led you to something greater?
1: Yeah, I think I think part and parcel of every every day, everything everything we we do is is led by curiosity um because um it, because it'd be too easy to see through the work i do to have made video for the years i've made it and and, and sort of after the first one figured you've, you've got it nailed and i had to open this editing software and I had to turn mm. the camera on record edit share the file i'm done it's that curiosity to first of all explore what you can see you don't know i can see some things there that i don't know and i can learn about that and dig in and then to be curious about the things you don't even know you don't know like right? what 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 is possible what are the limits uh-huh. um I, I feel like if i was in a place without curiosity if my life didn't have curiosity it'd be a, a dull place to be it's a kind of mechanical robotic kind of existence right uh-huh. um, i think most of um our frustrations with our, our own kind of creative output is we're already thinking of well, what else could we have done? Where could we have taken it further? Where could we have made improvements here, here, here? And there's that mm. curiosity to learn about uh, the things that we know that we need, we don't know, we don't know enough about, we need to know more about. And to, what do we not even know that we don't know yet?
0: Yeah, because I, I think one of my, my one of the, the the phrases that I hate hearing the most if if it isn't broke, don't fix it. But just because it works, it doesn't mean that it can't work better. <laughs> and and that's, always, that's always my response when I hear that, you know. Uh, and if people had had that, I, if people had carried that, from, yeah, just because it, it, it does, it works, it's fine, just leave it alone. You know, we would never have the developments that we have in society today. And businesses wouldn't mm-hmm. run differently. And I mean, even now, right, even now in the middle of all this COVID lockdown, imagine if people said, right, well we can't all get in a meeting room we can't all spend four hours every morning talking about what we're going to do for the rest of the day so we're all just going to sit there with our arms folded and wait for this to finish no people have adapted they've said okay well what if we do it this way what if we do it that way i um i'm going to put it out there but i like watching wrestling okay it's just it's one of my guilty pleasures and i was listening to a podcast recently um with uh this guy called triple h and he's and he's um He's one of the. He's an ex-wrestler. Well, he still wrestles, but he, he's one of the the chief overseers of the brand of, of WWE. And um, he said uh, WrestleMania is the biggest wrestling event of the year. It's like their Super Bowl. It's their World Cup. And he said that every year. The week leading up to WrestleMania is the busiest year, the busiest week of my life. I'm going here, I'm there, I'm getting changed into suits and getting out of a suit into jogging bottoms because I've got to go here and train and then I've got to get in a tuxedo for this. and, And he said that... He, he's found that all of the meetings that he normally does and has to be a part of, he's actually getting through them a lot quicker in this current circumstances. He said because everyone just jumps on a conference call, says their bit and gets on, he says you've not got to wait around for people, you've not got to set things up or deal with this, people don't hang around afterwards because they can't, they've, got, they've they're hung up on, they're gone, right? And so he said that that is leading him to feel that the way that they do business after this is going to change. And so that's that's almost an enforced innovation. But I think that the curiosity of, oh, okay, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to adapt to this? That people have experienced across the world, that is leading to things like that. So sometimes we can almost stumble upon innovation.
1: I have, you said something a minute ago, and I just wanted to pick up on, you said um, about um, we're being forced to, to to innovate and think differently because of COVID. And we said that three or four weeks ago, whenever we first did our first podcast Mm. that the world was changing as a consequence and uh yeah we've been forced to have meetings in a different way and 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 sounds like an organization the huge organization that wwe is are are gonna potentially reimagine how they conduct themselves at least internally um and how fortunate we are, I guess. That one, this is a, this is a forced social experiment, and we, you know, I'm not saying we're fortunate for that. Like that it's, it's okay. terrible circumstances, but it is a forced social experiment. But how fortunate we are that that people have dreamt, have been curious, have innovated, and built uh, an infrastructure that was ready for us. Now we need it. We've suddenly got the tools we need to communicate from video chat and audio chat and different ways of collaborating and it was there we didn't have to kind of wait for it to be invented it was there sat in the wings waiting mm. and, and lots of us have used it lots of us have relied on it but not not the kind of entire population and I feel like most most of the population now uh, has engaged perhaps with some technology they'd never heard of even mm. uh, and how lucky we are that that innovation was done and people had pushed the, the Boundaries of what was possible, and had it ready for us when we actually most needed it.
0: So, our key messaging of this podcast today is this: if you don't, if there's, if you do nothing in the next six months, why? What? What is it that you're so comfortable with that you can just let everything carry on? Surely, there's something in your organisation that can be challenged, developed, manoeuvred in a different way or maybe there's something that's missing that can be added. And it doesn't have to be a big, terrifying, v- Romeo and Juliet screaming and shouting with Radiohead playing in the background version of that. It could just be something very minor, but change is good as long as it helps. And asking questions is the best way to decide what changes are needed. And so those, those are kind of some of my takeaways. Is there anything that you think that you'd like to add to that, Adam?
1: Did you write that down? That sounded too perfect and scripted.
0: Honestly, it's probably the only thing I've said that's not written down today. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the tragic part.
1: (laughs) That was beautiful. It was a beautiful summary. Good job. Thanks, love. On the subject of innovation, you did start this podcast by saying we were going to innovate uh, this week. Uh, I'm not yet sure... In what way this is an innovative podcast? So no. Is there something you know, that that we're doing different?
0: Well, we don't have a guest for a start. We decided to not have a guest this week. And um, and I think I set you a task, didn't I? Um, as your friend and as somebody that likes to push you, I said to you, Adam, give me something this week that we've not had before. And what have you got for me?
1: Go sure something that is completely and utterly not related to business at all i don't know if that <laughs> disqualifies it for featuring in our business podcast but um it was too good an opportunity to turn down i've, I've done this before with, with my team a couple of times and i don't think i've ever done it for you i might have shown you a sneaky version of it at some point but uh i love preparing little uh what's the word movie quizzes i guess but sort of sound based movie quizzes so <laughs> Got a, a ten-question movie quiz for you, and, and listeners can play along if they want as well at home. Um, of ten little sound effects, pieces of dialogue, music, perhaps, um, and I want you to tell me which film uh, each one is from. Um, I, I, I've I've rarely gone easy when I've done this for my team, and, and even less so for you because you're a fountain of knowledge with cinema. I expect you to get all of these effortlessly, even though some of them are like. A second long or less, than half a second long. Right? Still, I'm mean, expecting big things of you, boy. Oh, right. Well, what I'm
0: going to do after this, I'm going to get you to say the numbers one to ten, and then what will happen is depending on how many of these go, I get right, I'll then check. When you said I've got ten questions, I'll change that to the number that I got right, and then just put those ones in. <laughs> <laughs> Nine, eight, seven,
1: six, five, four, three, two, one. There Fantastic. You go. You <laughs> okay, go for it. Right, should we go in? Yeah, go on then. I've stretched you, so like I said, I've been probably unfair in places with how short some of these are. (laughs) And you've got an advantage as well um, that people who are listening and potentially playing along won't have. You know me and the kind of films that I've seen, so you know where where, things it's not likely to have been from. So
0: I've got 10 sound effects from Lord of the Rings, basically.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right we're also innovating new technology so we haven't even tested this this is a live testing of this bit of tech nice so i'm going to, to play you these one at a time and uh, i'm going to keep track of how many you get right so okay. you ready for number one
0: yeah let me tell me yeah uh, go for it let's see
1: number Oh i thought i had
0: you there. oh my goodness play and again
1: another one of them oh i thought i had you
0: there. i'm gonna go with it sounds like gibberish um I'm going to go with Men in Black. Mm. Ah.
1: Scary feet, scary feet. Oh, the kids are white. Okay, scary feet, scary feet, scary feet, scary feet. Scary. Kids asleep. <laughs> Twins and a bunk bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought I had you
0: there. Monsters. Monsters. Oh, brilliant, man. I, I honestly couldn't hear that at all. <laughs>
1: I've of my <laughs> no, because... I've
0: genuinely i've I've watched Monsters Inc like a thousand times with Dylan, and I can't say that I I couldn't place that. So well done, that was a good
1: start. Yeah. I'm happy with that already. One right number two. Hello? I couldn't hear. It. I sound like someone knocking. When you say you couldn't hear it, do you mean it's too quiet?
0: It sounded like a voice that said hello and then a knock.
1: Hello.
0: Gosh, this is hard, man. This is a hard game. Just tell me that one.
1: Hate that man. Jurassic Park. Okay, none out of two so far. Suck, man. I suck at this. Right, number three. This is a hard one.
0: Got the basic layout: bookstore, the cafe. Almost everything else is here too. And again. Got the basic layout: bookstore, the cafe. Almost everything else is here too.
1: You should give
0: me a a clue. Give me one clue.
1: I mean, if I give you the clue, I want to give you is is too much of a (laughs) clue.
0: It sounds like it sounds like Leonardo DiCaprio, but I know or is it? It is. Oh, it's Inception. Yes! You got the basic layout. Bookstore, the cafe, almost everything else is here too.
1: Who are the people?
0: Projections of my subconscious. It's
1: yours? Yes.
0: Remember, you are the dreamer. You build this world. I am the subject. My mind populates You can literally talk to my subconscious. That's one of the ways we extract information from. Love that movie Nice one That's... Nice one Right Pleased with myself so, Pleased with myself I've I redeemed myself on that one
1: There you go Right number four This is probably the hardest of all I reckon As far What? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Goodness
1: gracious <laughs> One more As far I think the line is as far back as I can remember Oh good fellas. <laughs>
0: As far back as I
1: can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Good work. Hey, I'm impressed. Right, number five. I will be looking at two things. Your living environment. (laughs) Mrs. Doubtfire, baby. (laughs) As your court liaison, I will be looking at two things. Your living environment
0: more like a habitat really great film
1: and i will be coming by on monday and
0: friday evenings to inspect it
1: well i'll put on a
0: chicken (laughs) hello dear
1: (laughs) right number six hi
0: was that it that
1: was it hi this is well, supposed that's... to be our man. I can't make it easy for you. Oh, does. It
0: sounds like nightmare fuel. Um, I need it one more. Hi. Can I hear chains in the background? That's a toughie. Yep. I need Hi. a clue with that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't make them so hard. Oh, but it's got to be a test. I can't just... if I give...
0: <laughs> Yeah, he said. there's a difference between a test and a fix.
1: You say that. If I'd given you like double the length of the rings, <laughs> you'd have got all of them. <laughs> so... <laughs> um
0: and a chain um is it is it like a sci-fi or a, like a, like a kind of a paranormal so- film So Oren any more subordinates for me to kill hi what's the thing it's saying at the beginning Lauren
1: Oren. Oh of-
0: oh no no yeah that's okay I' see why you did that. <laughs> Blimey, I didn't recognize that man. That's that's I, I mind you, I've only seen Kill Bill volume one probably twice,
1: really, in the
0: whole time. Yeah,
1: all right,
0: man, that is here we go. Yeah, okay, so Kill, okay. yeah, Kill Bill volume one. That one yep. was,
1: I'm not giving you the point though, because I had to give you the point. <laughs> right, number seven,
0: <laughs> go ahead. tell her the truth. That's from Aladdin, another Robin Williams film. Look at this, double, double the Robin, what?
1: Tell her. The truth! No way! If Jasmine found out I was really some crummy street rat, she'd laugh at me. A woman appreciates a man who can make her laugh. Uh, complete coincidence that Robin Williams did it twice, but he deserved
0: it. Fun fact about Robin Williams, um, he's probably the biggest genius on the face of the Earth oh, ever. Oh
1: man, let me just. I, um, as you know, I've got pieces of art around the studio. I've got five or six kind of quotes, big massive pieces of yeah. art designed. And one of them is Robin Williams, which is, you're only given a little spark of madness, you mustn't lose it. And I just think that's an incredible, incredible quote. That's it, man. Right, number eight. Possibly the hardest of the lot, actually, you're going to hate me for this one.
0: Oh, dear. I couldn't really hear it, but it sounded like somebody going, like they were cold. On ice or something. Can't make it out. Can't make it out.
1: Um, Is this my failing of technology that's causing this?
0: It's it's I, 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 when we play when we put the podcast out, I will have got the sound effects off of you and <laughs> put them in properly. So it'll just make it sound like I'm making excuses. Yeah, do it! The air oh, to it. Uh, castaway. <laughs> yes, beautiful. Castaway, man. Well, oh, that, that film turned like twenty, didn't it recently?
1: Probably sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Right, number nine. Two more to go. Number nine.
0: Shit. Not without incident. It sounds like The Matrix, but I can't hear it. I can't hear it properly.
1: Oh, Always that excuse? I wish we'd done a tech...
0: I genuinely can't hear it properly. I don't know why. I, it, it sounded like a flat line and then a load of guns go. Oh, I know exactly what it is. Go on. I know exactly what it is. It's equilibrium. Yes! Christian Bale, before he became
1: uh, Batman. Right one more to go and i really want to fix this the audio so you can hear this and have a, a decent chance
0: <laughs> are you not are you not sharing it through zoom are you i'm sure you do you know how? It's you know going through loopback oh right okay into zoom it's weird isn't it i think we I need to speak to these guys and say why does loopback not work properly what are we doing I'll wrong
1: turn it up so it might work right last one okay. number 10 ready <laughs>
0: Okay. Uh, one more. Hey. Okay. Hey. So it sounds like a load of things crashing, and then two people saying hey hi- to each other. Yep. Is that is that what that is? Yeah.
1: One of your favourite films as well. I'm disappointed in this one. One
0: of my favourite films. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna
1: suggest so. Yeah.
0: Can you tell me one of the actors?
1: No. No, no. way can i tell you one of the actors. That
0: will give it away. Okay. No way. I can't place it, man.
1: I'm going to be gutted. Here we go. Hey. Hey. How are you doing? Fine. How old are
0: you? Oh, I have a work permit. I have all the no, papers. like that.
1: You still don't get I can't it, hear it, man.
0: I can't hear it. I can't hear it. Oh, thank Go God. on, what is it? Boogie
1: Nights.
0: Boogie Nights? Oh, blimey, man. Oh. I couldn't <laughs> hear it. I couldn't hear it. I, mind you, I haven't watched Boogie Nights in probably about 15 years, but still, I should have known that I'm one. En- I'm embarrassed.
1: Maybe I'm running, not one of your favorite.
0: favorite <laughs> I still remember the lyrics to Feel the Heat. <laughs>
1: There you go. There you Five go. out
0: of ten. That's oh, man,
1: that's one embarrassing. Of the well, no, it's a very, very hard quiz, and and there was no virtually no sound for you. Yeah. Because uh, of the wonders of technology. So you did pretty well, I'll, considered.
0: I'll still embarrass myself, man. So well done, Adam. I'm going to insert a, a clap noise for you here. There you go. <laughs>
1: My favourite one of all the ones you got right, you got Mrs. Doubtfire instantly. I mean, you know that. <laughs> and you knew Aladdin as well. You knew Aladdin, so there's something about Robin Williams, it just works. Yeah for man.
0: You. Oh man, that's a secret sauce. I can't believe I didn't get cast away though. I was gutted about that one. <laughs> gutted. I was I was impressed that I got Inception. Genuinely impressed I got that one. We'll make that uh we'll make that another one. I'll do it to you next time. I'll just do like random sound effects from
1: I'll- scared you were going to say that
0: peter jackson movies and you can just (laughs)
1: well that was
0: the sound of the uh, second orc in command
1: You're not going to sign off, by the way, without giving me a score for Romeo and Juliet because I need that in the lead. I'm not, of course. So I'm going to give Thank you a you. score.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to give it four and a
1: half. Again, four and a half. Okay.
0: Um, I'm going to go four and a half. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go full five on this one, and and the reason for that being is that it's not a perfect film, right? It's you know, it's got its issues. It's 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 not great throughout, but it but it is as close to what I would consider to be a perfect teen drama slash piece of cinematic history that, so that you can get
1: on exactly the same level as Uncut Gems or is it more like a 4.6 or 4.4 4 or
0: no I would put them on the same level I'd say <laughs> the same level of mastery um, and like on Uncut Gems had its weaknesses as well but um you know I think uh, to me I think this is probably Baz Luhrmann's best film mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah I, I, it's, it's quite harsh I mean I, I was looking on Meta, Metacritic the other day and and some people are quite harsh with it. I mean, like the San Francisco Chronicle gave it zero. Um, but Rolling Stone gave it a hundred. But then I guess that, that shows you your demographic. Like Rolling Stone magazine, it, it's exactly the right demographic for for who this was aimed at. Sort of trendy MTV teens and uh, that kind of early 20s demographic. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Watch it, enjoy it, and, uh, and that's that. Beautiful stuff cool so we shall see you next week uh with a with a with a guest next time Right. cool cheers buddy i'll speak to you later You're next time see you man